Dedicated to Game of Thrones and a song of ice and fire, you're listening to Podcast Winterfell, part of the DVR Podcast Network. Check us out at dvrpodcast.com. Welcome everybody to Podcast Winterfell. My name is Mike. I am here with Tracy, like always, for the deep dive. But tonight we have a special guest, Susan, who contacted us this week and said she was bursting at the seams to uh, get some stuff out. She had some stuff to get off her chest in regards to this season of Game of Thrones. So if you have listened to Podcast Winterfell in the past, you will know who Susan is. You'll be happy to hear her. If you don't know who Susan is, then you're obviously a new listener, and we're happy to have you. So welcome to Podcast Winterfell. We have, I don't know, almost 350 episodes at this point covering all the seasons of the show, covering all of the A Song of Ice and Fire book series, we have done interviews with a bunch of people, smart people who have weird perspectives. There's lots of things to listen to. So if you're new, welcome. Check us out. If you're not, you know the deal. And I'm going to stop. Uh, what am I pitching? I don't know. You already downloaded it, right? How are you guys doing tonight? What's going on, Tracy? How you feeling? Cersei Lannister is the best character on Game of Thrones. Whew. Okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> out there. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I would get a chance to say it, and I really just felt the need to put my to plant my flag and let it be known. I'm feeling great. I'm super excited that we have Susan because she's an encyclopedia. So for the deep dive, she's going to be like a, a really great source of information for us. So I'm ready to go. Right on. How about you, Susan? Uh, how are you feeling after you've had some time to digest the finale? How are you feeling? What what led you to us tonight? Oh, well, I just, you know, I really was excited to, to talk about some of the things that happened in the finale and in relation to the book and where the books are potentially going. And that's obviously something that in the uh, Colin show, they don't really want to get into that area. They want to kind of keep it, you know, right in the on the show related themes, which I understand. So I, I just wanted to get involved in something where we could, could uh, bring up uh, Martin's work and do some contrast comparisons and all that good stuff. Awesome. I'm really, uh, I'm both looking forward to this and also kind of dreading it because you always make me like give a shit about Rhaegar and like all <laughs> these things that I just am able to just, that are just not front of my of my mind, you know. But every time I'm on with you, I'm always like, "Man, that's a good point. I should care about stuff like that more." So <laughs> I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on the uh, on the season. Do you want to uh, you want to lead us through this thing, Tracy? Sure. Um, so the episode opens with our, our uh, Danny's armies at King's Landing. So uh, we get to see Grey Worm, who we haven't seen in a while, and all the Unsullied. Uh, the Dothraki join them eventually. And at the same time, the Lannister armies are preparing for an attack that might come. And uh, we get a conversation between Bronn and Jamie, where two men that fight for a living come to the conclusion that it all comes down to Cox in the end. And this is how we start <laughs> our show. There was a lot of Cox, like Cox references in the, t right? Like a lot. Oh my God. Didn't it seem like, like a I lot? I have a tough time with that word. Like, I think that's the first time I ever, like, really said that word out loud. I really don't like it. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, okay. anything for the show. 
Um, <laughs> also, a lot of reference to lacks of cocks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, you know a sick obsession between those two. Um, you know, I, I think it's this. Oh, is that a who's who has a train in the background? A train going by. Yeah, it's gonna be gone in just a moment here. I was wondering no if you guys were gonna pick that up. Um, so I mean, this scene doesn't really give us too much new information, but I think it's really helpful to let us see how serious this is and sort of helping to build the tension because even though we know the intention is just for a conversation, you know, both sides are not dumb enough to think that they're not going to be ready for anything. Right. I, I don't mean to undercut the seriousness of your point here, but are you, are you also then a person who hates the word cunt? Because in that case, this season is really an assault <laughs> on your, your language sensibilities, huh? That word, I guess I hear it less. So I am kind of yes. like, I kind of see it as like a, a foreign term. Right. Even though I do know people say it, I'm more of a see you next Tuesday kind of person. And, you know, <laughs> I, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, I'm, I didn't mean to undercut you. I just had to, <laughs> I just had to ask. Uh, because I've been really enjoying the Hound's just <laughs> aggressive British style use of that of that word this season so susan i'm sorry did you have a a, a thought on tracy's opening or the opening in general <laughs> uh, no no that's fine i think it you know it's very cinematic it really you know brought the uh brought the mood in terms of you know what was going on it was well okay so you tracy you make the point of you know these two guys who engage in war decide it's all about phallic symbology right mm -hmm. but but also um there's no dudes really running anything anywhere they're all just kind of like i got an idea maybe you'll listen to me or not <laughs> so what i mean what did you why did did you think that that kind of like weird aggro opening had did you think that related to the female? I don't know. I mean, I'm interested well, in what you, why you think yeah. they opened it that way. I mean, the reason why I kind of jotted it down that way is because there's sort of like this sophomoric way of writing that Dave and Dan have. And it really leapt off in a couple spots in, in this episode. And there, I'm just like, these two guys cannot get over it. Like, <laughs> okay your guys like i don't know what the world is going to keep spinning fellas like wow these men down there don't have penises and yet they can you know have a functioning life did you realize that there's a couple there's a whole group of people that also don't have them and manage to live their life so it just was like it's but i'm also understanding that the two characters would think that way, right? That's why I'm kind of like, both of them, they just fight. They know how to just go, right? So the fact that yeah. they think like that is true to their character. So I don't want to take that away from them. But I feel like Dave and Dan sort of like really lean into that way of thinking often. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's an interesting point. You know, it's 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 one thing to like, to call something sophomoric which is an easy thing to say right people people like that uh to use that kind of 
to use that as a way to kind of denigrate things, right? And then there are other things that there's really no other way to describe it, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know how, what other word you use for that conversation and for kind of their mindset um, in this thing. So I think that's actually, I think that's a really good point. But ultimately, it came to nothing, yeah. right? Ultimately, all those... Uh, all those weapons, all those phallic symbols out there actually were not used. So, it, you know, it was, I think, kind of an interesting, I don't know if it's a comment or not exactly, but it was an interesting way to kind of open and see all these people out here who really had no purpose, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and that's not traditionally what happens when we see armies lined up or the Dithraki, you know, riding on their horses or whatever, that usually has an outcome, <laughs> you know, but not today. This one was all about negotiation. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, that kind of stuck out to me. You know, I don't think it's important for the overall theme of the show or anything, but definitely it, it pinged for me. Right. Um, but, you know, that was a quick one. Uh, then we have this really short little scene on the ship. We're on ship Targaryen, and we have John and Tyrion talking city life versus, I guess we could say, country life or rural life. Uh, and, you know, they just mentioned how many people are living in King's Landing. And again, you know, Tyrion's reasoning for wanting to live in a city, he mentions the brothels. So there's back to kind of like that kind of thinking. And we see the hound check on the white who is, quote unquote, still alive down there. <laughs> Whatever version of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was a weird moment from Tyrion, too, kind of it, although in character for Tyrion as a whole, you know, we've talked about that. Like that was kind of that's not really been the thing he's been about, you know, um, and that also, I think, kind of plays into the to Tyrion later, you know, I'm going to want to, you know, like that, that's a, an interesting kind of bringing that back into his character. Um, and of course I wasn't thinking about that when you're, you're watching this scene in the beginning, right. That we're kind of reintroducing this idea that Tyrion used to like the ladies. Um, but clearly, and there was especially prostitutes because, you know, particularly. It, yeah. 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 So, okay, so we're we're just kind of, it's interesting. We're just kind of warming into the show a little yeah. bit. Right? Um, like, we, yeah, we it's like this quick little scene, and then it's just basically saying, like, all right, like, everything's coming together. And, like, the whole opening of the show is just people sort of inching towards the dragon pit really slowly. Um, and then we cut right back to King's Landing, where Cersei is... Uh, getting ready for the meeting and she addresses the mountain to set up her kill list, which, um, you know, this is her order of priority. Danny first, Tyrion second, John third. And then after those three, the mountain is free to kill in any order he <laughs> desires. <laughs> Talk to me about Cersei Lannister, Tracy. Talk to me about Cersei Lannister. She's phenomenal. <laughs> in this episode, especially, um, I mean, I guess Lena Headey is phenomenal as well, but it's interesting how she makes sure that Tyrion is taken care of. Even though Tyrion is just the hand, 
right? But she knows he's not the most important person to kill, right, in this mm-hmm. situation, right? You have to get Danny off the board. But Tyrion is not dropping any farther than second on her list. <laughs> and we get to find out later, you know, why. I mean, obviously, you would be angry that someone killed your father, but we get so much more of why she was truly, truly angry for what he did. Um, so I just thought this was like a nice little piece of her character where we see that, like, even as she's walking into this meeting for, you know, a truce, she's ready to take off heads in a specific order. Yeah, and that she, she there is a certain burying of her own immediate interests. Right? Like, you know, like she, in her heart, has hated Tyrion for much longer than she's even known about Danny, <laughs> right? Right. But she knows in this chess game who she's got to knock off the top, you know. is uh, Susan, is Cersei playing for you this season? Because she's working for me. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think that here is one of the first places that I can say that I think there's such a significant difference with book series um, because uh, I think that, you all probably agree with me that, you know, Cersei in the books is not the mastermind that they have made her in the television show, at least this series. I mean, she really is politically outmaneuvering in, in many instances, everybody else in the show here. Whereas in the books, she's really, you know, she thinks that she's, that she's outmaneuvering everybody else, but she's really just messing herself up in the long run. Oh, yeah. In the book, she is vindictive. She's petty. She allows personal slights to kind of cloud her vision. Mm-hmm. You you are exactly right that this is a, a far cry from, from book Cersei. She's far more measured in the show. Right. And she's still right. a little bit wild, right? Which just goes to show how off her rocker she can kind of get in the book, especially with all the drinking. Yes, exactly. And I and I also, I mean, I still see her as petty and vindictive here in many of those instances, but it's just her plans, the things that she thinks are, are such great ideas in the books are generally not and are going to really work against her in the long run. Whereas I think that a lot of people felt like, you know, in, in the long end here, she made some pretty wise decisions in how she was going to handle this. I mean, they weren't ethical and they weren't what we'd like to see her do, but uh for her and her for her case, maybe pretty good. Mm-hmm. I agree. Ugh. I am. <laughs> I am very impressed with how uh, even-handed you all are able to be in this situation. <laughs> I'm very impressed. I think that's something too that that relates to the conversations we've had about Danny and how much more mature she is in the show related to the books and and the question that remains kind of unanswered, obviously, until the books are out of whether or not that maturity and that kind of increased focus has to do with um, the additional time that has gone by in the show that we haven't seen in the books yet, or the kind of the, as, as things get more serious, you know, right? Like we tend to kind of grow in moments of pressure and stress, you know? So is it possible that it's just, we've seen more time, we've seen more events go by or in the books when they reach these same places are, are they going to be more um, are we going to see more of those kind of elements of the the book Cersei and, and immature Danny 
that, you know, I mean, I don't know that obviously there's no real way to, to tell it now. Um, but it's hard for me to imagine that, that the kind of immaturity of Danny is really going to be able to carry through. Like, what does that mean? Like, does that mean she's going to meet Jon Snow and he's just going to be like, come here, I'll show you everything you never needed to know, kid. Like, that doesn't, right? That <laughs> seems hard for me to imagine. How do you think that's going to, re- that's going to translate to the books? Um, well, if you're asking me, I, I do am. Think I'm terrible that... about that. I'm sorry. Susan, what do you think? Uh, how do you think that's going to translate to the books? <laughs> uh, I, I do think that, uh, that Danny will also have a, a, a different journey. I mean, I think it's interesting the the way they opened the season with her coming to, to Dragonstone and coming in and, you know, let's begin at, at the end of the uh, first episode. I, I actually kind of envision that from, you know, different things I've read and seen that, you know, when she gets to Dragonstone, that, that, that it will be something real similar to that in the books. But I think that she's going to be going down this dark path before she gets there. I mean, we, we've seen that, you know, she's headed towards uh, a, more of a fire and blood uh, issue over in Essos. And I think that there's going to be uh, a lot of, uh, of, uh, burning and maybe seeing her go in a pretty aggressive uh nature for a while over there before she even and gets to westeros and then if she's up against aegon you know over here that's going to be another threat that uh i think will really test her so i you know she may get to this point of where she is in in uh on the television series but i think it's going to take a lot longer Oh, everything takes a lot longer when George is writing it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Tracy? Do you think we're going to see more kind of book Cersei by this, or show Cersei by this point in the books? By the time book uh, Cersei gets here? You know what? I don't. Uh, I feel like her character is so well established in the book that I, I almost feel like she's uh, circling the drain mm. in the books. And we're kind of just waiting for that blow. I mean, like, I feel like she's just getting abandoned by every person that she saw as an ally, except for, I guess, Kyburn. Oh, oh, listen to you skipping ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) so, you know, well, I'm just talking book Cersei right now, right? I know. I'm just so excited to talk about that moment. (laughs) I'm just, I want you to skip ahead. I just want you to do it for me. Go ahead. Uh, you know, so I just feel like something is going to finally put an end to it. You know, she's one of my she's not my favorite character in the book, but she's one of my favorite to read, if that makes any sense, because she's yep. just so I don't want to call her off the wall. I mean, it's not that it's just she's so different from the way I think I'm kind of I'm more like a Stannis thinker. Right. So Mm. reading someone like Cersei is crazy. You know, like I can't imagine someone behaving in the way that she does. Uh, So it's kind of fun watching her sort of scramble and scratch. But she's a fighter and it's going to be entertaining no matter what. And she's going to make people pay. You know, if she's going down, someone's going down with her. (laughs) I I mean, a lot of people have already gone down with her. Do we really need (laughs) another one? Oh, they, yeah, they will. <laughs> <laughs> She'll make sure of it. Yeah. You know, another thought on Cersei, too, in, in, in terms of the television show is because of the fact that they have weaned out so many characters, uh, I think that they've given her 
parts of, of what other people are going to do. I don't see her being in power this long, you know, in the books. I think that she's going to already be, be gone from, uh, from King's Landing at this point. I'll be surprised if she's still there. So um, I, I think that's another thing that, that really changes the dynamics because we have characters that are, are taking on pieces of, of uh, I mean, she's probably playing with some of what Aegon might be doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, his role in the books. So, um, you know, that all changes right, the dynamic. Uh, all right. Let's, let's just, okay. This one, like, look, y'all, w- this has been the deep dive the book reader deep dive and we've been really sensitive about book stuff all season long because you know everybody's got their own you know nits they like to pick right like everybody's got their thing and how they experience the show but we got susan on here tonight and if we're not going to talk about the shit in the books then we are really wasting we might as well change this shit to like the long version of the initial reaction so we're gonna (laughs) let's talk about Aegon, okay let's talk about fake Aegon. it's called fagon in the you know is is how a lot of the people in the book community So, listen, if you're a TV-only person, if you don't want to hear this stuff, all of it is speculative in terms of whether or not it's going to arrive in the show because none of us have any idea if any of this stuff is going to pop up. But, like, you know, last week we pulled out of talking about what's happened with Barrick, and I don't regret any... I think it's fine for us to do that because I don't think we've really lost anything in terms of discussing the show, right? But I think tonight we're going to open all the gates. We're just going to full on talk about the book and not worry about the shit. And one of the main kind of, you know, looming elephants, right, that's in the book that's not in the show is is Aegon. So, Susan, talk to us about Aegon, Fagon, Fake, however you want to say it. Like, <laughs> catch us up a little bit on that and, and on kind of why there's... There's controversy and how you think, um, because I think that's actually a really fascinating point that you're making about him taking on some of the Cersei things in the book. So get into that with me. Talk about that and and full detail. Gates are open. If you don't want to hear it at this point, I've fucking said it five times. Turn it off. (laughs) Uh, Okay. well, uh, yeah, um, in in the book series, um, you have this character who is supposedly the child, the oldest uh, child of Rhaegar with his first wife, Elia Martell, uh, Rhaegar Targaryen, the one that we learned about the second marriage here with John's parents this, this uh, episode. But um, his first child, who was also uh, called Aegon Targaryen, um, <laughs> uh, is who everybody thought was killed uh, by the, the mountain along with his uh, mother and sister. Supposedly Varys has had uh, switched him with another child and he had been smuggled across the sea where he's been brought up by uh, both the partner of, um, of Varys over there, Lirio Milpatis, who has, who was the one who helped arrange Daenerys, uh, uh, marriage with the Drogo, uh, but also this uh, uh, John Connington, who was a best friend of Rhaegar's and who had gone over initially uh, in shame, was with the Golden Company, and then um, the rumor was that he had uh, drank himself to death over there, but really he had taken on the um, mentoring of this young boy who now they are ready to bring over and present him as uh, the uh, the rightful heir, 
and he would obviously come before Danny, just as as they are stating that uh, John's claim would come before Danny and for the Iron Throne. And so, and in fact, he, so he, so just to just, just this is the famous story that Oberyn was so upset about, where the mountain killed his his niece and nephew, and so. Now the niece was not replaced, right? Just, just the nephew. No, right, Correct. right, right, right. Okay. right yeah, the, because, yeah. He was supposedly traded. Right, because that's the only thing that matters. So now in the <laughs> book, not only is not only do we have what we can now assume is going to be John's, you know, uh, primary claim over Danny, but we also have this Fagon, who in fact has. A claim over John because he would be Rhaegar's eldest living uh, male exactly. issue. I like exactly. I, I like I like saying male issue because it makes it sound <laughs> uh, it makes it sound like a like a uh, a transactional. You know what I mean? Because like it's always yeah. fucking transactions with the women, right? So like male issue makes it sound transactional. So I'm sticking with it. I don't know that I'll ever have an excuse to say that again in my life. So I think three is enough for now. Carry on, Susan. I'm sorry. Okay, so and, and then in interest that you know we're hearing in the show Cersei contracting to bring over the Golden Company. Well, in the books, this uh, uh, Fagon and uh, John Connington are forming. They are forming an alliance with the Golden Company, and uh, they are are planning to come over and uh, invade and get allies over in the uh, Seven Kingdoms and first off become a threat for Cersei. Now, initially, uh, this fake Aegon uh, was supposed to be heading towards Daenerys and proposing a marriage pact with her, but Tyrion got involved with his journey being different again in the books than it was in the show. And he traveled with this group for a while. And in the process, he was able to convince this young prince that he should actually come and make a challenge to Cersei and that that would put him in a better position than heading towards Danny because he, he would be a, a beggar coming towards her to ask for an alliance. Whereas if he came over and challenged the crown, you know, over here, then uh, maybe Daenerys would want to come to him to see him as a uh, someone that she wanted to come help align because he was over here doing courageous things for the house. Now, uh, a lot of people feel that, you know, Tyrion was, you know, just setting that up uh, against Cersei and really kind of putting this uh, young boy and his plans in a, in a pretty precarious position. And uh, probably in the long run, uh, Daenerys is going to see him as a threat. This isn't going to make her want to lie with him in any way. But there's another layer to all this in that it's very likely that this is not uh, a Rhaegar son. It's pretty much likely. I mean, I think it's you know bigger percentage that, and that he is actually related to the uh, bastard branch of the Targaryens that uh, went to war with them. Uh, that were the Blackfires. That he is somehow come out of uh, the descendants of that house and that this is their chance to try and, and capture the throne by putting him in this position. And Varys is also, as his mentor, coming at this from the position of, here's my perfect prince that I've been able to design and create, that he's going to, I was able to mold him and educate him to be what 
I see as, you know, someone that we can put in there that's going to do right for the throne and that I'm going to be able to probably control behind the throne. So, so your so your analysis would be that this stuff that's going on with Cersei in terms of bringing in the Golden Company and and, you know, the, that all of that stuff in the book would basically be taken on by Aegon. Uh, that's okay. I'm not smart enough to follow that up, Tracy. What do you think? That sounds pretty damn good to me. Yeah, I mean, I think she nailed it, basically. Um, I mean, they just condensed everything, right? I mean, if they want to bring the Golden Company over, but they don't want to bring Aegon, well, you know, who's Daenerys's other foe? Well, it's Cersei. So how are we going to get them to Cersei? And I guess you can say, well... You know, we have Euron. We didn't. We don't really know what to do with him. So <laughs> you make him kind of be the go-between, and you have this sort of Iron Bank story that's sort of hanging in the background. So now you say, "Oh, we paid them off. Now that that's why they're going to loan us more money, right? Because how is Cersei going to pay for the Golden Company when she's made it very clear that the Lannisters are broke?" Well. They robbed Highgarden, and now they're back in the bank's good graces, and they can move forward. So they took, like, four different plot lines and smushed it all into one. Bada-bing, bada-boom. That I, that actually sounds like really great uh, decision-making on their part when you describe it that way, to be completely honest. I know not everybody will agree with that, but um, I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, and that actually really is an interesting point because there's been a lot of talk about how, you know, everything is being run by women at this point. But in that scenario, Cersei is at least out of power, if not out of the situation altogether. And Aegon is the one who is really driving these decisions. So that is, so that makes it seem like that decision to really kind of go with an all-female power structure was maybe the television runners? That's a weird thing we haven't really taught, right? An, an interesting perspective we haven't approached. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think that that was very interesting at the beginning of this year because I don't think it's going to be that way. I think that, uh, uh, like, you're going to have Aegon, you're going to have John, you're going to have uh, Daenerys, you're going to have different uh, people, and, and Cersei is going to have had her day. Uh, so you're right. I think that it's was kind of a maybe a process of how the story was just turning out for them that it, I'm, I'm not sure that they designed it that way, but it, as people started being thinned out from the storyline that it turned out that this is how this season ended up with it being all the women that were at the head. Wild. Wild. All right. Very good. I think uh, this book discussion is productive. What do you think, Tracy? Right. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. All I have right. a I have a book related question for the two of you. Have you read the Winds of Winter chapters that have been released? No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, talk about it. Talk about it, because I'm not going to read it. Like, so no, it's not well, gonna... I don't have anything for right now. But just in case, I think there's a couple of things that uh, sometimes I get confused. Like, I think something happened in dance, and then I realize it was the spoiler chapter. And right. okay, I might be able to talk. It has to do with Arya, 
But anyway, that doesn't well, come I don't, later. I don't mind. I The only reason I don't read it is just because I feel like it, I, I just would rather consume it for the first time in context. But I don't mind hearing about the con the content of it. It doesn't bother okay. me at all. So I'd be happy as hell to hear you guys talk about it. To be honest. All right, I'll I'll tread lightly if it comes up, and I'll and I'll <laughs> put fair warning out there. There it is. Okay. Uh. So let's see. All right. So now uh we're getting closer to the pit. We have Team Targaryen, and they are talking just a bit about the purpose of the Dragon Pit and how it pretty much signaled the end of the dragons because Missande wants to know what's the point of the pit. And Jorah talks again about how the dragons sort of withered away because the people didn't really like how they were so dominant in their culture. Uh, any Anything from you guys? I mean, I feel like this is just another little snippet, walk and talk, kind of Sorkin-esque writing here. <laughs> and I feel like we know this stuff already. But this is the first time we've seen the It's a nice reminder. Pit, though, right? Yes. And so how did that how did the pit itself compare to your imagination of it? Well, Susan? I mean Tracy. Sorry, yeah. I fucked that up again. Go ahead. Tracy? Yeah, <laughs> no. you did. That's okay. Susan, go ahead. Talk about the pit. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I don't know that I have that much to say about it. I I, I think um I imagined the building with more of maybe more of a, a, a roof over it, kind of a more of a domed thing, uh, you know, even though it would be a rune, I know. Um, I, I think it was fine. You know, they found this, this, uh, this rune in Spain that was a, uh, uh, actually used for glad gladiator type of uh, sports in ancient times, I believe. So, I mean, it was, it was interesting looking. I don't know that I have. I'm adding yeah. the content you want there. Yeah, I feel, I liked how they added the uh, the bones and things to kind of have something. I mean, that's a little bit later, but I think it added something to kind of see how small the bones were compared to how large the dragons that we see now. So that was kind of yeah. cool. Well, the, I just mm -hmm. I ask because there was you know the shots of King's Landing later. You know, there was some really beautiful environmental work uh, in this one. And mm. the Dragon Pit, you know, in particular, it was much less grand than I had imagined it. Uh, but it was also more appropriate. You know what I mean? Like, because of like what you're saying about how they showed the bones and we see that, you know, because the, the thing barely can contain the damn dragon when she lands, you know, so it seems like it's not. Like, I don't know, it just seemed less, but I, I just kind of thought that it all really worked. And, and the, 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 because it's not that old, right? Like the actual thing is thousand, two thousand years, right? It's very, very, and so, but this would be what, a hundred years old? I mean, you know, in Westeros history, right? When did they build the dragon pit? 200 years ago, a hundred years ago? I mean, the Targaryens were only there for 300 years, so it can't be that freaking old. Right. right. Um, yeah. And but but it so it it's it was one of those things where like if you want to sit and think about it and try to get like whatever literal about it, you know, then it it didn't really work. But in terms of the feel of of you know Danny and and the end of the line and the it, it just it felt really good to me, 
even though it was logistically a little bit messy. And I always love those moments where I don't notice until later. And I'm like, oh, good job, <laughs> you know, because it fit the tone of the thing. So. Anyway, apparently that stood out to me more than it did to other people. And, uh, we can stop fucking talking about it. Go. Okay. Uh, before we get any further along, I wanted to just point out one thing and kind of backing up here a minute. Uh, but when you were talking about uh, Cersei's instructions to the mountain, that was one of the first times that I well, not necessarily the first time in the in this show, but was in the in the series uh, this uh, particular season. But it certainly was the first time in this episode that you saw Jamie kind of looking askance at her like what you know mm. the instructions you know he was and i'm sure we'll talk a lot about what he ultimately does later on but i think it it was showing his dissatisfaction with her mm. ideas i i totally agree and something else i noticed about that scene that i totally forgot about she's giving this like golem type creature instructions and i'm thinking how much brain power is in there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she's saying the silver-haired, I think she says bitch, right? The silver-haired bitch, <laughs> my brother, and then, like, it. so I'm thinking, like, wow, he's able to comprehend that. She must think like, he that's can, that's kind of right? abstract. That's somewhat yeah. abstract. Yeah, yeah, good point. Like, I, if I give my students instructions, they are very precise, <laughs> right? Because anybody that knows a teenager, you have to tell them exactly what you want them to do or you're getting something else. <laughs> so <laughs> the fact that she spoke to him in vague terms was interesting to me. And it made me feel like, okay, maybe there's a little bit more inside there, uh, which I guess we can talk about a little bit more later when he meets his brother. Um, uh -huh. So now we get the other group meeting up with uh, Team Targaryen and we get some reunions. And unlike the reunions that took place at Eastwatch, these are all pretty positive reunions. We get Tyrion and Pod together. We get the Hound and Brienne together and Tyrion and Bronn, even though they did see each other before, we didn't get to see it. So we get to watch them sort of come together. And uh, I thought that they were just like really cute short and effective conversations uh which one was your favorite susan which one did you were you so happy about if any um well i think i enjoyed the most the one with the uh, brienne and the hound because uh you know first off i think uh, they were both rather surprised to see the other one and then the little conversation they had about Arya was one of the only times I think you've ever seen the Hound actually smile in the whole series. So um, I think I enjoyed that. But I also do think that this is one of the things that, that the show's really benefiting from is we're getting to the point where we've had so many hours and so many, you know, so much time with all these different characters that we really know them. And when we get to see them come together uh, from past encounters and so forth and have these kind of reunions it's really uh touching to us and i think they they really do pick up on that and play with on that really well i agree mike what about you yeah uh i thought it was fun that that the because the moment that he seemed to smile at right was when she said like 
no, people need to be protected from her or something, <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah, that that stood out to me as well. I mean, yeah, that was great, and th- that whole they're they are doing a, they are doing well with that. I've been enjoying those moments this season, um, and that one was you know this one was no exception. Yeah, and there's no hard feelings between the two of them, which is really good to see. Because I mean, the, the hound could have been pissed, right? I mean. <laughs> Yeah, but, but like that's bygone. like a weird, yeah, there's like a warrior ethos kind of thing that like most yeah. of us don't really have to participate in, <laughs> but they've got some experience with it, the two of them. Right. It was a fair fight. That's what happened. Okay, moving on. And that uh, also sets them up to be able to work well together next year or in yes. the last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, next and, two years. <laughs> yeah. Can I just right. say too? This is something else that I noticed. Is like, it's just nice to see the hound. Like he like had a bath. He's got on like <laughs> like clothes like that. You know, he didn't steal from a dead person. He's like had himself a couple of chickens and a cup of ale. It just was nice to see him. Like, you know, kind of cleaned up a little i don't know i don't know i just was like look at you and your fancy shirt your fancy vest or whatever the hell that is <laughs> you know i don't know i enjoyed that i was glad to see that too because everybody else has kind of had those moments but he's just really been focused and dirty so <laughs> susan what were you gonna say uh i don't think anything else <laughs> at oh. that point for that yeah go ahead Okay. Um, it can't possibly so, has been of inter- has been a, as interesting as my ideas about Hound's jacket. Go- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we finally enter the pit, and the word that I wrote down was just tension. Uh, it, it's it's just sort of like this weird. Everybody's waiting for something bad to happen, but nobody really knows. Who's going to do what, when, or who's going to say something first. And the first encounter that we get is the hound notices the mountain walking in. And I'm assuming, you know, just from the, the sheer size of him, he knows instantly that's his brother. And, uh, you know, when he approaches him and looks at him, he feels like, you know, he can tell that he's changed. And he says this line, and I hope you guys can help me understand it. Um, This isn't how it ends for you, brother. You know. You always knew. Something like that. I tried to wrote as fast as I could. Uh, Were you guys able to to link this to anything, at least book-related? Because I couldn't link it to anything show-related. No. Um, I honestly just think, I, I don't, you know, I've heard people trying to connect it to, well, did the hound maybe see something in one of his visions in the fire now that related to his brother or something? I don't think it's anything like that. I think it's simply him knowing, you know, he, him going up to his brother to to let him know, you, you know, I, I'm sure there's been tension between them throughout the years before the hound left the city and before the mountain became a zombie. And, you know, we saw that fight that was between them in the first season. So I think that there's always been this, you know, obviously a grudge on Sanders' part and this tension between them that I think Sander was just reminding him that, you know, I'm still coming for you because I'm still got this grudge over, you know, what you did to me. And it, it's going to happen at some point in time. This just wasn't the place to do it. So is that confirmation for the bowl? 
I believe so. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> This has been the great divide on the deep dive is the ball. Yes. <laughs> um, well, Susan, I mean, do you like the idea of the, like, do you feel narratively it makes sense? Or are you like me where I'm just like, I don't see how fighting makes any, makes Sandor feel better. Yeah. Um. Actually, I guess I kind of do because of that, their, their initial, uh, encounter, which also did take place in the book there in that, um, you know, at the tournament where the hound intervened. And uh, I always found that so striking that, you know, the hound obviously acting like the knight was able to bend the knee when Robert told him to break it up where his, the mountain goes storming off. Um, it seems to me like they've, they've set up a dynamic where there is going to be something between them. I mean, I understand what you're saying about, you know, one of the themes in these books is that revenge doesn't really get you anywhere. Um, but I, I don't have strong feelings about it. I know there's some people who feel like, oh, if he's become the the knight, uh, or I mean, he's become the, um, the uh, uh Monk on the aisle, the grave the digger. The quiet aisle, right? Yeah, the quiet. That that's a a wonderful quiet ending for this this man who's uh, no longer at, at at war with himself over you know all of the terrible things that he's done, and he's finding some sense of peace there. I can understand why people feel that way, and but I, I don't know. I kind of I'm kind of. I don't have strong Susan, feelings about it, but I'm happy to see the encounter just, between them. Just admit it, Susan. Your hype. <laughs> a bit, a okay. bit. Not, not, Get not, hype. Not, you know, it's not a big, yeah, not a big one. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. <laughs> I mean, I All don't right. see. You know, I, I think. Okay, so this was something that occurred to me on my second watch of this episode, based entirely on talking about this with you, Tracy. So this is all yours. Is that? I'm watching Cersei give him the list, and then I'm watching the two of them talk, and I'm thinking that if the Clegane Bowl is actually motivated by the Hound trying to protect someone from the mountain, then you get all of the backstory, but it's not the immediate motivation, which I think would make it easier for people who don't want the Clegane Bowl to swallow, right? That it happens because he's protecting Danny instead of John or something like that. You know, I, I don't know that it would be Danny necessarily, but just in that scenario where, because that also then mimics the, that first scene, you know, that scene right. with the attorney. Right. And so I think if it happened that way, then all of us bowlers get our hype, but then all of you people who don't want to see it, hopefully they keep it somewhat short. And, you know, you have some other motivation for it. So it's easier to little sugar with your pill. So Yeah, that would definitely be much easier to take because, um, you know, well, you guys all know how I feel. OK, <laughs> we won't <laughs> have to relitigate that whole thing. Uh, That's a great idea, too, Mike. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, OK, uh, so now we have Cersei's in the pit. She's waiting and waiting, and her jaw is more clenched than it's ever been. Finally, um, Danny arrives on Drogon's back, and Rhaegal is in the sky. 
Um, and when Drogon lands, jo- Drogon lets out this sort of roar. And I'm wondering if in the show they've talked about this, that is there like a mind connection, like how the Starks are supposed to have with their dire wolves? Because I feel like God, Drogon... Thank you for bringing that up. Drogon gets aggressive when she needs him to, but like when John wanted to pet, like when Drogon landed, he didn't like roar then. He let John approach him. So if Danny was calm and accepting of John, so is Drogon. And if Danny's feeling aggressive and looking at Cersei like, you better not, right? Drogon internalizes that and lets out the yell. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in the book, in the Starks warg into the animals and warg into Hodor and take control. But the Targaryens don't have that same kind of direct warging control over the dragons. But there is a mental link that is related to their levels of anxiety. That's obviously not how they describe it. But, you know, they're kind of... So the way you're saying, like, if she's... When she, when they land and she looks at Cersei and she feels some kind of way about her, as opposed to the way she feels about John, that Drogon is not only... It's not like Drogon is interpreting that. Drogon is also feeling it. Right? Like, that is the way I understood it from the books, is that there is an emotional uh, sensory perception that is not the same as warging, but has a similar kind of controlling effect. Susan, did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. I I would think that you described it very well. Is that what you're getting at, Tracy? Does that seem right? Yeah, I am. I mean, that's kind of what I'm, I don't know if I'm, you know, adding too much or seeing something that isn't there as many of us people who devour books and TV shows can sometimes do. But that's kind of what I'm thinking. And the way in the books, and if you read, you know, like the princess and the queen, a lot of the Targaryens would have the dragon eggs in their crib with them. And they would, you know, so that was their dragon from birth. So that connection was so strong. And, you know, we know Danny didn't have, she was already an adult or teenager when she got the eggs, but she had them with her and she kept them warm and she was there when they hatched. So it's kind of like, why wouldn't she have that same connection with them in the show, even though it hasn't really been said? I kind of feel like that's what I'm starting to see. Yeah, I think what you're seeing there is the way they interpret that. And I think it is I think they're doing a good job of it because otherwise, like, are you going to like hear Drogon be like, oh, she seems mad. Like, I mean, I think yeah. in terms of the the way it's, in, you know, the way it's interpreted for television, I think they're doing a good job of it. I think that's I had the exact same sense, you know, it's been building this season, but it really was very clear in that moment. I agree. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've been thinking about it, but I forgot. (laughs) There's so much. Obviously, I wanted to talk about it. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, this was just a great uh, scene. It looked really great, and everybody—the tension, the like, you know, you the right tension is the right word, and just everybody's like the way they. This scene was particularly well edited. I felt the way they kind of moved between people and and let us know where everybody was at. 
And uh, I loved how Brienne's looking at Jamie and Cersei looks at Brienne looking at Jamie, then looks at Jamie who looks back <laughs> at Cersei. It was so great. <laughs> If I yep. could just read their minds, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Cersei's probably like, are you serious? And Jamie's like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like, Cersei, please don't say anything. Please. please. <laughs> uh, so uh, finally we get Tyrion, who's ready to kind of open the show. And he gets out two words. And Euron uh, starts taunting Theon about Yara. But... Thankfully, he gets shut down first by Jamie, then by Cersei. Um, I'm guessing this was maybe theater from the start on Cersei's part and Euron. I don't know. But um, this was a little interesting exchange in terms of how he just wanted to go right for Theon when Theon, like uh, Tyrion points out, this is like that's a small issue. Your, your familial squabble. Which is exactly it, why I think it was theater. From the beginning. Yeah, and, and I was, and, I'm, and I think another part of the reason why I think it was theater from the very beginning is because that shit totally took me by surprise and I loved it. So I think <laughs> yeah. I kind of want it to be theater from the beginning, but I also do think it makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely in character for Euron. Susan, did anything jump out for you? with this section? Well, I agree with what you're saying and, and uh, about Euron and, and one more comment about him is as everybody, as Daenerys was landing on Drogon and everybody's looking at her, I got this sense from, from Euron looking at her like, oh gee, you know, you remember in the previous season before uh, Yara and the Theon took off towards uh, Daenerys, he was talking about going and trying to set up an alliance with her I could, you know, just see the wheels in his in his mind saying, "Gee, look at that woman on the dragon. Uh, maybe I should have waited, you know, waited for that one." Yeah, his eyes were wide when <laughs> when she landed. I saw that too. You're on, you're on, you're on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that guy has no, and he has no limits in his own mind, man. I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so then uh, Tyrion gets his chance to speak his piece and John does as well. And they kind of open with just talking logic and referring to the long night. Uh, but they realize that they need to do the demonstration. So then the hound gets the white and they have like this elaborate setup where it's like underground and he has to like bring it up. It's like this whole thing. Um, but the demonstration proves to be pretty effective because the white is definitely scary, aggressive, going straight for Cersei. Uh, Kyburn is intrigued, as we predicted. And <laughs> Jamie really seems horrified by the whole thing. So they finally, you know, they have this ridiculous plan. And in a sense, right, like here they are pulling it off, right? Like this is what all of that was for. This is why Viserion died. Um, so let's, we can, I guess, talk about just like that moment for a second, because I mean, Lena Headey, I feel like she made expressions that I've never seen on Cersei before. <laughs> and, it, and it was fantastic. What did you guys think of that whole sort of scene? Mike, you want to start? I, I mean, just, yeah, the whole thing was great. The whole thing was just 
spectacular. And I totally thought it was going to eat her face. The chain shot the <laughs> shit out of me, like old school horror movie style, you know, like, and I was, I had a moment of relief. I was glad it didn't eat her face. And it wasn't because I don't want Cersei White. It was because I had a moment of like caring for a breathing person, even though she's mm. awful. And how the hell do you make that happen in the end of season seven of this goddamn show? Like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought it was really a, a, a really expertly crafted moment. Susan? Oh, I agree. I agree. And what wor- worried me about uh, Kyburn's interest is, is you know, is he... Is he going to do anything with any of that stuff? Is he going to, uh, you know, get any of the genetic material that's left there that uh, after they burned and killed it and and be experimenting to try and uh, bring some other abomination into this whole thing? That's what gave me the creeps. Yeah, he, he was way too into it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, we totally predicted that and anything else would have been a, you know, a, a mistake, right? Because, yep. of course, Kyburn, the person who was kicked out of the Citadel for vivisection, right, is going to want to get a closer look at the undead walking. Um, so what's interesting after this is uh, Euron decides yeah, uh, I'm not really interested in fighting the undead. Um, They can't swim. I'm taking my entire fleet and I'm going back to the Iron Islands. Good luck, guys. Nice meeting you all. Good night. Again, this is why that was so badass because I completely believed it. So did I. I mean, he's a selfish shitbag anyway. You know what I mean? So you kind of know that already. But I completely believed it. And that just like, wow, man, how did you do that to me? You tricky <laughs> so-and-sos. Susan, were you tricked too? Or did you have a feeling that some, did something not smell right to you? No, no, I bought into it too. I mean, they, they did an excellent job with, uh, with, doing, with setting that up. Um, and, and again, on, on his way out, he, he goes over to Daenerys and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, makes a, a little uh, uh, suggestion to her. So uh, repeat on that issue. I think part of why it worked so well, though, is that the first thing said after the thing is dead is can they swim? <laughs> right or maybe even before it's dead it's like that's the first like can they swim no great mm-hmm. i'm out <laughs> it just like <laughs> it, it, the kind of the way that it happened so quickly i think is part of why i didn't have time to question it you know and i'm guessing cersei and euron must have just been like look they're gonna show me something some dead what a, i don't know whatever it is it doesn't matter I what it get is out. right whatever it doesn't whatever matter. comes out of the box whatever they show me you don't want to deal with it and you go right away yep and genius. that's that yeah genius. that's <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> she's such a good character um Okay, so after that, Cersei graciously accepts the truce and everybody exhales a bit. And I noticed Varys like grins like a little kid. I'd never seen this look on this actor's <laughs> face before. He's like, oh, lovely. So everybody's super relaxed until she asks John to remain neutral. And uh, John this basically... 
pulls a Ned, right? And uh, refuses Cersei's terms because he openly accepts Danny as his queen and cannot serve two queens. So, uh, I mean, I, I think the focus here, I mean, if we know now, right, that this whole thing is theater, I mean, does Cersei do this so he'll say no? Is that what, like, is, is the whole purpose of this to, you know, to give I, them terms that they won't accept? I don't, I think, I mean, maybe, but I, she also could just simply have been testing the waters. You know, this could be one thing that they don't have good intel on, you know, so she's going to throw that out there and, and see what she gets. And I'm sure what she got is, you know, what worst case scenario Cersei thought she was going to get <laughs> right but either way at least you find out you know you hear it from the horse's mouth right yes yeah, she leaves with more information than she had before so yeah that would be really smart so Daenerys she looked a little surprised right like she did she expect him to lie or did she not expect him to be so public and have men? somebody once, you don't know everything. About- oh, she hadn't even banged him. No, See, yeah. You don't know, I mean, you know. Why? <laughs> I'm just saying, you got to live with somebody for a while before you know them, right? Yeah. So, I mean, she was a little shocked. I mean, Susan, did you think, did you read anything into Daenerys' expression there? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, um, again, you know, of, of all the different, uh, things that have happened through the season that have been, you know, kind of character, uh, issues that have come up that I think have been bringing these two closer and closer to each other. I think that even though she was, you know, as, as Terry and everybody else, you know, disappointed that, you know, that, that he said this at this time and, and the effect that it had, I do think that she also was, uh, feeling, you know, she, like she was a little uh, uh, choked up about it, got a little emotional about it, him, him saying it as well. She did. She did. Um, and I guess that's kind of the first time that someone in power kind of said, no, it's you. Because it's always, you know, she'll take out the person in power and underlings will then bend the knee to her. But this is, he was kind of her first attempt, right? As a leader that she asked to bend the knee and he did it. So it might kind of be like a a personal victory too because she's successful, right? Like she's accomplishing her goals. Mm -hmm. And Uh, and a rather important one. Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, So Cersei is like, well, then we can't do it. She's out of there. Everybody now is like, oh, crap. Um, Brienne approaches Jamie and tries to appeal to his sense, but he kind of responds in a way that says, like, you expect her to change her mind sort of deal. And when Brienne's like, yeah, but you can talk to her, he's like, mm, I don't know why you think I can change her mind. And he's out of there. Uh, which is interesting because he knows that he doesn't really have any sway over her. And that's kind of interesting given the the progression in their relationship that's happened, you know, with her saying she'll go public with the baby and everything. But he still 
knows that Mm-mm. he doesn't he tell her what to do. Is a tool just like everybody else. Yeah. It goes back to what Elena said to him, and at that uh, early ep- earlier episode, uh, that uh, he's uh, he's gone too far with her, and that uh, you know, it's beyond his control. I think she said something like that, and he agreed. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> Boy, so many signs, Jamie. So many Man. signs. <laughs> uh, so Tyrion, John, and Danny uh, kind of circle up and. You know, John is feeling some regret about the way things went, but he owns his decision and he stands by it. And the three of them decide that Tyrion needs to be the one to talk to Cersei. Otherwise, the whole trip was a failure. Everything was a failure. Uh, So Tyrion being the one to talk to Cersei, I mean, his whole thing was like, you know, she won't kill me, but she will kill you, John, (laughs) which was kind of funny but probably correct. And I really like the fact that Tyrion felt like, you know what, I'm going to put it all on the line and I'm going to go talk to her because this is worth it. What do you guys think? Yeah. It, just, I mean, because it all turned out to be theater, that it really undercut this whole thing for me quite a bit. It really felt like it could have been anyone. You know, it felt like it could have been Jamie, right? And and so it really kind of undercut the whole scene. I really, supposedly in, in real life, um, Lita Heedy and Peter Dinklage are good friends. And I think Dinklage actually talked her into reading the script and all that kind of stuff. So it's always nice to see the two of them together. We haven't seen them together in a scene in a long time. Uh, and their dynamic is you know, intensified even now over what it was. Um, so I, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the scene for its own sake, but it, it, I'm, I'm like a little bit mad at it for the fact that <laughs> it continued setting me up for what was going on. And also for the fact that then that made me feel like it could have been anyone. It didn't need to be Tyrion. Well, Jamie did go in to talk to her because when Tyrion arrives, Jamie said that she just put him out. Right. For uh, <laughs> trying to talk to her. So, I mean, I guess she needed it to be him or maybe John, but it right. couldn't be See, anybody else. It was bullshit. Yeah. She was just reciting her lines. <laughs> oh, such a good character. Arrgh. You know something, too, that I think is, is a, just an important point to, to bring up in, in terms of our current political situation was what John had to say there. About uh, you know even that uh, he didn't want to make a false promise, and that uh, you know when people do that, then there's there's uh, no more answers, but only better and better lies. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was very topical. Yeah. <laughs> and, and adding to that, how uh, Scaramucci took that quote right and tweeted it <laughs> right <laughs> the next day. Right. <laughs> oh dear so I'm just like wow <laughs> irony lack of awareness I don't just, know <laughs> no, it just brazen it just brazen yeah. yep it just right. brazen just doesn't give up uh, okay good yeah good characters okay. good characters I was reading an article that said that they actually filmed this day or uh, filmed the scene it was either on the day of the election or yeah i think it was on the day of the you know, right after the election 
Yikes. Hi. Um, so we get this uh, really great, well, in my opinion, a fantastic scene between Cersei and Tyrion, where uh, it really reminded me of season one, uh, where Cersei and Robert had their sort of heart to heart, where they kind of laid everything bare. Oh, yeah. Uh, Cersei suggests that Tyrion wants to destroy the Lannisters and by killing Tywin, he weakened the family and, you know, that led to Marcella and Tommen's death. Uh, it gets really heated and she acts like she wants to kill him and Tyrion calls her bluff, but Cersei doesn't give the order. Uh, and then they talk a little bit more and... Cersei starts talking about the future and protecting her family, at which point Tyrion realizes that Cersei's pregnant and we are no longer privy to the rest of the conversation. Uh, so, you know, what I really loved about this was how she said killing Tywin weakened the family. It was something that I hadn't really thought about, and I, I think that's some really great writing. It's, it's definitely true to who Tywin was and how other people saw him, whether that's true or not. You know, whether Dorne would have made a move, who knows, but it's believable that Tywin not being there made people feel like now's the time. It was fascinating to hear Cersei say that, too, the person who has arguably benefited the most from Tywin's death outside, mm -hmm. of, you know, losing all of her kids and stuff. But just as a, a power hunger, you know, in terms of the power situation in Westeros, she's gained the most. So it was fascinating to hear her particularly say that. It's an interesting spin on, you know, it, it shows you a lot about how, you know, what her thought processes are that, that she is able to say that. Because I agree there she is uh, uh, in a situation where she's the uh, one sitting on the Iron Throne where if her father had been alive, he was trying to marry her off to somebody. So um, you're totally correct there. And in terms of the impact on whether Marcella... Uh, or Tommen would have still been alive. You know, I, you know, you can really argue that both ways. I, I think that's hard to put that at, at Tyrion's door. I do think it, it's it is easy to say um, that people, you know, the um, the Tyrells and probably others felt that without um, Tywin there, that uh, it was a better opportunity for them. But but still, a lot of this was just Cersei's wanting to you know, make it somebody else's fault. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he's her favorite target, right? So, <laughs> so why not? I mean, I, I just felt like that conversation was so real. I, I don't know if they have a really good understanding of the characters or that was just like a really great writing day where they were feeling it. But um, that was a great one. Right, like I want to give credit where it's due because I've been a little annoyed at some of the dialogue this season, and this one was great. Um, I mean, I didn't for a second think that Tyrion would die in that scene, but I mean, she I don't know, like, I, I was kind of going back and forth, like, could Cersei just make the order and kill Tyrion? And I'm happy that 
they put her in that situation so she could choose not to and kind of show some complexity to her character and that she's not only just power, 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 get him out of the way. He's my brother. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a heart in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Mike, you're going to love Cersei by the end of this. You're going to mi- if they kill her, you're going to miss her. <laughs> I'm I'm loving hearing you talk about her, that's for sure. I will give you that. <laughs> um, so I really wish we could have heard the end of that conversation. Does anybody have uh want to speculate or about what could have happened? Uh I don't I just am fascinated with the idea that pregnancy is going to start taking on a a significant motivational role in this project, and I think it's pretty obvious that it is because they keep she keeps talking about it. You know. Yeah, but I have a hard time too seeing how she th- this is going to last a term a, a full pregnancy. I it don't just, know. It doesn't matter. It's motivating her already. It motivated her before she was actually pregnant. You know, because this kid, just like Jamie, is not a human being for her. It's a means to whatever weird thing she's trying to accomplish. You know, it's a tool, right? And so she, it's, it's a motivating factor, even if it doesn't ever actually survive in the world. Interesting, interesting. And, you know, Mike, I I think that, you know, you're totally correct. And that's the reason why I've always had a hard time buying into the uh, idea that Cersei loves her children, that that was one thing that because I feel like she did that with all of them. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. It it might have softened her a little bit, you know, her kids, but uh, she used them all. If it was and about anything Tommen. other than power, right, poor Tommen, if, but if it was about anything other than power, she would have not been so defensive of Joffrey, you know, I mean, it's, I, you know, poor Tommen definitely, just because his personality was kind of so outsized, but, you know, who knows what Joffrey would have been without her? Because you can assume that she was encouraging these kids to be ruthless from day one, right? It just, or at it least took knowing, right? Like, she never felt like anything he did was fine because he was the one that was doing it. Everything was okay, right? Yeah. He wasn't really being mothered. He was just sort of being managed. And, like, in the book with Tommen, how... There was no sensitivity. Remember how torn up he was about the funeral and he couldn't even go up to the casket. Didn't he throw up or something? Yes. And, mm-hmm. oh, and he's like got in trouble. Like it was just awful. So, yeah, you're right, Susan. You just reminded me of that. She's still perfect. Anyway. Um, <laughs> um you can right. you can you can say someone's a perfect character and like them even though they're you know a, a baddie or or yeah, you know, someone that bad. you yeah <laughs> yeah um, I'm not taking it as you're suggesting that we emulate her no <laughs> man yeah she's yeah <laughs> okay there's so much more to her later so we'll we'll save that um so John and Danny still in the pit they're talking dragons and Targaryens and fertility 
they talk it's kind of like a rehashing of what the dragons meant to the Targaryens and um they get to her fertility because she calls herself the end of the line and John's saying no you know you what about you and she says that she can't have children he questions it and she blames well, first of all, she says, the witch who killed my husband. And I'm like, honey, you killed your husband. Uh, but no. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, because Miriam's door said it. And I mean, so the the lines in the book were almost, was it word for word in the show? I feel like it might have been. Yes. Um, I mean, the way I read it, that's not even what she said. That's how a lot of people read it. But to me, that's not what she said. I mean, how did you guys take the prophecy or, or what Mary Mazdor said? Susan, you got to go first on this one. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, well I, I agree that there is uh, some, it sounds like there's a little bit of twisting in, in the way that Daenerys is looking at it. Because obviously, it was a question about when Carl Drogo was going to be back to his old self again. And, uh, and Mary Mazdor was you know, basically saying, uh, you know, never, like when pigs fly, basically, yeah. uh, type of thing. And and it, she used the analogy of the, you know, sun rising in the west and setting in the east and the, you know, all that. And, and part of it was when your womb quickens again and you bear a living child. And so because of that being thrown in there, Danny assumed that, well, then that was a possibility that was never going to happen because... Um, you know, it was linked with these other impossible things. Dude, my wife right. has been saying for six seasons, for six seasons, consider the source. Like, are you kidding me? Like, she's, re I mean, this, <laughs> you know, this has been a refrain in the conversations about this show in my house. And so there was a great deal of applause when that finally came out from <laughs> a POV character in the show. Like, thank you. God damn. <laughs> Like, not only was she, like, you know, some, like, wild desert lady, you know, witch lady or whatever, but also she was super mad at you. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, who knows what, you know, people say when they're mad. I don't know. It just seemed like it just seemed like she had kind of taken it so seriously. And he more or less does. Right. I mean, this is the first time he's heard her. say Right. I mean, he. Yeah. It's not like he really had a lot of time to sit on it. He was just kind of like, oh, all right, cool. Right. Cool and story, bro. Like, like, why do you why do you believe her? Um, okay, all right. Now, this is a little bit more complicated in the book, I think, because Daenerys is really remember how uh they wanted to inspect her before she married um damn, I forgot his name. Do you guys remember the guy that she married in Marine? Oh gosh, I'm <laughs> Okay, him. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. It had a lot of yeah. Q's and Z's in it. Yes. Mo Mo was he a Mo person? Mo <laughs> resident? No. I can okay. look it up while we're talking. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking at dance, but it's too big. I can't even open it. I'm not. Um <laughs> so she was she didn't want them to inspect her. And then when she was kind of stranded right before she meets up with the Dothraki, she sees blood running down her leg. But there's really no explanation about what it is. Is she sick from the water like everybody else? 
or did she start menstruating again? Right. So in the book, I'm really curious to see how they deal with this issue of her being fertile or not. But it looks like in the show that they want her to be able to have children. Got I mean, the name. Just... Okay. Oh, what's his name? His star Zolora. Yes! Thank you. I it just I mean it's this as you say it's not particularly clear in the book but in just fiction and storytelling generally I mean women don't bleed down their inside of their thighs for very many reasons right <laughs> I mean just I mean I don't you know I don't I don't want to I don't know much about it in real life but in in book life that is signifying of fertility I all virtually I mean every example I can think of off the top of my head so that was definitely the way I read it in the book even though you know as you say it's not particularly spelled out yet another bit of symbolism that might have been pointed to in in this particular scene which I I heard somebody say this so I can't can't take the credit but I thought it was uh, really cool was that they were handing back and forth between them a baby dragon bone Mm -hmm. you know so it was like he, she was, or he was holding it first, but then he gave her the baby dragon bone. Uh, she ended up handing back in the end. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. That's so good. Oh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, man. Um, so she says this line, and mind you, as they're talking, um, they're pretty close to one another. They're facing each other. Um her back is kind of against some stone and he's like looking her. Well, I mean, you know, they're like the same height. So he's looking her like right in the <laughs> eyes. And, uh, you know, she says this line, if I trusted you, everything would be different. Now, Susan, I know that you have sort of been, I don't know, from Twitter. It seems like the, the John Danny chemistry has been working for you and it hasn't been for me. But when I saw this scene the second time, I saw it a little bit there. Yeah. Um, so you saw it too. How about you, Mike? Did you see some some sparks between the two of them in this scene? Uh, I yeah, it's it's working fine for me. I don't really expect for either of them to be that expressive about it. To be completely honest, um, I mean, just because that's their characters, and also because they are there with all those other people around, you know, so that it's working fine for me. It's not too well. That scene was fine, but other ones <laughs> I have not been sold. Uh, so uh, at the end of this conversation, we get Cersei coming back and Tyrion coming back and Cersei offers her armies to help defeat the army of the dead. And everyone's happy, and it was a successful trip, right? Yeah. My friend Derek, <laughs> uh, who I interviewed early in the season, the guy that writes for Big Think, he tweeted that his wife got up and walked out of the room in disgust in that moment. I, <laughs> I think she's also a big fan of of, uh, of dirty Cersei, you know, of, <laughs> of, of mean, uncompromising Cersei. So I bought it 100%, like, to the point that I was, like, mad at them for tricking me later like they pulled a chair out from underneath me or something like i thought it was really good 
I did too. And I was thinking to myself, how interesting, right? Like, wow, Cersei's going to help people? I was kind of like, oh, this is, is going to be a new side of her. <laughs> Little did I know. Set him up, knock him down. <laughs> she still had to get that dig in that, uh, you know, at, at when this is over with, that maybe you all will remember that I did this without any, you know, guarantees from any of you, but I don't think it will. Right. She she really has to sell it, right? Like, <laughs> they won't believe right, me if I and... don't act petty right at the end, so. What a, ah, uh, yes! Ah, uh, all right. So good. It gives me it gives me the feels. That's how you know it's good work, right? Yeah. It was really set. good stuff. <laughs> um so we finally um make our we make our first trip away from King's Landing. And we see Sansa getting a raven and it's telling her that John, well John is telling her that he bent the knee and pledged to fight with Daenerys and she discusses this uh, letter with Baelish and in his conversation with her about it he ends up twisting the conversation in a way that suggests that Sansa should take the Northern Crown and Arya is not to be trusted and possibly a threat to her life so given what we know now right I guess we can say that Sansa is pretty much just making sure maybe this is just like the final piece she needed to do what she needed to do. But I felt like it was really nice seeing him walk her through that because it reminds me of the book where they're in the veil and she's learning from him. So this reminded me of like those lessons that she gets from him. And it's, it's a little sad to think that he didn't respect her enough to think that he could see through, she could see through him, but you know, that's kind of who Baelish is, I guess. What did you guys think about this little scene? Blurg, whatever. You can have that shit. Go ahead, Susan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, I kind of want to hold back on my thoughts too much on it until we get to, to the what ends up happening with Peter in the end. Cause I know that there's this big debate about, you know, what was going on behind the scenes and uh, were these guys working together was or not? And at what point were they? And so I've got some thoughts on that, which, but, but I do agree. I did like him instructing her. I I think that, you know, that is uh, something that, uh, you know, adds, adds to his, his mentorship of her. I mean, this um, is another one of those things similar to the scene with the bear in the whole ranging up north. Out of the dumb context it was in, the scene was good. You know, but within the dumb context it was in, it was right. like, what, the f- what is the fuck is this? What's <laughs> the point of it once we know that she's just... Right. Um, you know what? Actually, we can kind of go right to it because... Like it's it's only two scenes away anyway. So uh, the next time we're, uh, we're in Winterfell, Sansa is on the battlements, and she requests that Arya gets brought in. Uh, it seems to be a setup for a trial for Arya, but Littlefinger is the one who must answer for his crimes. Uh, he tries to claim that they have no proof, but Bran provides information, information that he's given to Sansa and both Arya. So they are all chiming in with 
the truth and Littlefinger realizes he has no more answers. He tries to get the Vale army to escort him safely out, but they do not answer his call. He grovels and begs until Arya uses the cat's paw blade to kill him. So, I was one of the people that thought Littlefinger would survive this season. Uh, Susan, you want to start us off? What's on your mind? Um, sure. And I, I found this scene to be very satisfying. I really enjoyed seeing Littlefinger have to go through all of that. And I think that Aiden Gillen played it really well from the the initial surprise to to uh, begging Sansa in the end. He went through such a range of of, uh, you know, trying one one strategy after another. Um, but, yeah, I think that everybody's been wondering whether the girls were working together or not, and I was too. And, um, the you know, the, this has gone on for, like, three different episodes now, and in the first episode, their conversations seem to be in places where maybe they could have been publicly heard, so maybe they were trying to put on a show for him. But then last week, or the week before, you know, the one before this one, when they were in her in Arya's room and Sansa found the faces, that seemed to be that they were just in there by themselves. And I don't see where that could have been something that they were playing for effect. So, you know, it had me confused. And um, I've heard a lot of people say that it may have been that little lesson that he gave her might have been the turning point for Sansa in terms of, of then she was actually looking at using it back on him and looking at his motives and understanding that, Oh, he's really been playing me all along. And I did learn that there was a scene filmed that they cut out that Sansa went to talk to Bran about some of the evidence. And um, so since that's been cut out, I mean, that would have probably helped a lot because they want, they just, they wanted to keep it a surprise for her everybody and so they got rid of that but it was confusing absolutely it was it was all frosting and no cake mike what are you thinking (laughs) oh god the frosting was good though uh yeah (laughs) i mean i really enjoyed that scene a lot and i've seen you know 50 different suggestions of of just this little piece of dialogue or that little piece of dialogue that would have solved this whole problem and, mm-hmm. you know, we don't need to go through them because everybody else saw the same ones and everybody has their own. And that is what makes me think that they should have actually done it. You know, the fact that they actually did shoot something, even if that particular thing didn't work, there were a lot of other ways to solve this problem, you know. And so anyway, that that whole thing aside, the the icing was fantastic. The cake sucked, but the icing was it was great. I mean, seeing him go to Jan Royce and Jan Royce be like, Pacha. Yeah, right. You know, that was really wonderful. Like, it was great. And then, and this was, and I, I I, haven't really seen anybody else who's gotten into this. Unfortunately, I've tried to find it. But it looked to me like she cut his windpipe, not his jugular, right? She cut the front of his mm-hmm. and not the side. And when you cut the jugular, I talked about this on the call-in this week. When you cut the jugular, you lose consciousness very quickly. Even before you actually die, you physically, you die, you, you, the blood drains from your brain, you lose consciousness very quickly. You cut the windpipe and you drown on your own blood. Like it's a completely different death. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's much, much worse. It's much more visceral. And for someone whose only weapon was his words, you know, mm. it's a statement of its own. 
You yeah. Know? And I mean, they didn't really, they didn't harp on it, but there was a close up shot where the sides of his neck were fine and the front of his neck was a bloody mess. <laughs> so I feel pretty confident in sticking with that. And I think, you know, if somehow that's how he goes in the book, that that'll be described in visceral oh, details. Oh, yeah. Great so, detail. You know. Um, yeah. Well, and, yeah, uh, it couldn't have happened to a better off. guy. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Second that. You know, I was a little dis. So the first time I watched it, right, I'm, I was just like, oh, man, like Littlefinger, I feel like him dying and, you know, Winterfell with like just some army dudes around them. Like, eh, this seems a little small. But then when I thought about it, it's like he doesn't deserve anything. You know, like we you can kind of look at him if you want to as this powerful person because of all of these things that he's influenced but really he is a small man who manipulates and hurts people with lies this is not a- an important and powerful person he deserves to just die like that and you know the more i thought about it the more i realized that this is perfect for him he doesn't need you don't make the finale that, like that's it. <laughs> the the what you're saying, I t- I totally un- totally feel what you're saying about that. But then when she says to him, you know, trying to divide me and my sister, which is the same thing that you did to my mother and her sister, that for me solved those problems. I was like, yep, that's that is the justice that really should be served in terms of this story. I'm sure there's plenty of other people that have their own beef. With little mm-hmm. but in terms of this story, the the younger sisters pointing that out to him as the like that's the that for me really worked. So I agree. Yeah. I'm kind of happy that Cat was mentioned because there's a lot of Ned talk, especially right. in this episode. But there's not a lot of <laughs> I miss mom talk. So it was nice to hear the Lysa and Cat mention. Susan, were you going to say something? Um, well, I, I love Mike's explanation about uh, the cutting the the windpipe and the and the significance of that. I think that's that's perfect. Um, but what another thing to just add to it is uh, the idea that he was so uh, central to so much of the political machinations of this um, of this show, and they that he dies at the same time that the metaphysical uh, threat is going to overtake. And so, you know, it's a perfect time for him to go because Mm. that kind of stuff is not going to be as meaningful now. He's small potatoes. Great. (laughs) We we have real problems. (laughs) Right. We have dragons and the undead and an undead dragon. So. Great point. Okay, so we'll uh, I'll save the last uh, Winterfell part for the end. Um, so now we are on. I guess this is Dragonstone. Oh yeah, this is because they're at the water. I don't know. <laughs> Do you guys know when uh, Theon has his whole? Are they back at Dragonstone? Yes. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Because you know what they have that talk by the painted table later. Okay, so they are back at um dragonstone and they are planning to go to winterfell so jorah suggests separate routes and john suggests that they go together on a ship to white harbor 
and then travel to Winterfell from there. Danny agrees to take a ship with John, and Jorah is not pleased with her decision, but he knows better than to say anything. Uh, so, you know, this is just more of the whole poor Jorah can't get his way with Danny. Yeah. <laughs> makes makes no moves and and Danny is being very clear about her intention to be seen as an ally of John's and I guess, you know, he's reading between the lines just like everybody else is. I mean, you didn't ever have that moment in like the parking lot of your high school where it was like she's definitely riding with this dude and not that dude. <laughs> like, and you're like oh okay yeah I thought so <laughs> shit wish I was that dude you know I mean I just I think that's a like a common enough experience right yeah like I'll give you a ride and it's like no 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 he got me <laughs> <laughs> see <laughs> oh but he doesn't he won't be ready for another hour that's okay <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait yep so I enjoyed that moment I've been enjoying the like dating aspects of this way more than I thought I was going to. Way more. It's kind of cute when it works. Yeah. But I let yeah. yeah. Jorah Jorah's face fell perfectly. Like it was yes. just enough where he doesn't make it obvious, but like we know. Yep. Well, and he he damn near looked straight into the camera for the show. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was, was all really... for our benefit. That was for us. Yep. Okay, so then we move on to uh, Theon wanting to have a conversation with John, and Theon expresses some ad- admiration for John for what he did over at King's Landing and some regret for his choices in the past, and he refers to some impossible choices. John acknowledges that Theon did some awful things, but offers some forgiveness and accepts him and lets him know that he can be both a Stark and a Greyjoy. Um, I thought this was a great conversation. I'm not the biggest Theon fan, but I thought that uh, they took his character and they they gave him a good reason to grow, meaning he saw John and actually started thinking about his youth where he is now and what happened in between and how hard it all was and kind of gave him some perspective. Uh, so what did you guys think? Susan, do you have anything? Oh, I loved it. I loved the scene with, uh, with Theon and John. It was, it was really touching and, um, and I think it was, it was well-earned and, I liked everything about it. And of course the idea of John saying, um, uh, you know, that you're, that Ned would be his is always going to be his father and part of him. And, um, you know, even, and that you're part Stark and part, uh, Greyjoy. Well, of course we know how this is going to have implications for John and his situation here shortly. I mean, you can probably say the same thing for him. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mike, did you love it too? <laughs> uh, you know, I've been bitching about Theon all season, uh, probably yep. longer than that. Um, but I saw a th- interview this week with George where he talked about Theon and John being flip sides of the same coin. 
and and how basically the two characters have experienced very similar things but have reacted to them in completely different ways uh and that you know i mean that's what great creators do right you know their stuff is is deep enough to be able to give you multiple ways to think about it uh mm-hmm. and it was very timely for me to read that this week before that scene because otherwise I might have literally fast forwarded through that shit. I mean, really like <laughs> wow. if I, if I would have been, if I would have watched it, I would have been watching it out of a sense of duty to the podcast that we're going to do and to Tracy. So I didn't, you know, leave you hanging on something you wanted to talk about, but literally <laughs> that would have been it. Right. But then I read that, you know, that little thing. And then here we see them, the flip sides of the coin facing each other. Uh, I, I, it was, I, I thought it was good. And I think, you know, I, I wouldn't have phrased it the way Susan just did about how that conversation about Ned relates to John, but I wouldn't have phrased it nearly that well. So I'm just going to co-sign what she said and leave it there. Made it All right. but that, that aspect of it did make it, I think even that, that really was extra made it really, that was an extra patty on the burger. So. Hmm. Right. That subtext. Yeah. Where we're like, oh, John, you're so more, much more complicated than this. Yep. Um, so then we get another Theon scene. And Theon is approaching the other Greyjoy soldiers, the ones who left with him and Yara. And he tries to use Yara's name to motivate them to go rescue her. And it seems that they don't respect Theon enough to follow him. They want to just abandon the whole cause and just call it a loss. And they just want to, excuse me, hide from the undead. Uh, It leads to a fight that I feel lasts uh, an eternity. And it turns (laughs) on a failed knee to some non-existent balls, which... uh, is enough apparently to get them all rallying around Theon and they sail off to, <laughs> I guess, go get Yara. <laughs> so, I mean, the moment that I'm like, oh, Theon, yes, look at this. And I'm just like, get the hell out of here. I honestly, I was just like, maybe he should just die now because he <laughs> had that really good moment. And if he just dies now because he wants to save Yara, like how poetic we can just kind of close this chapter and move on from this guy. And of course not. And I don't know. Uh, Does anybody have anything positive to say about this scene or, you know, did anyone get anything good out of it? Uh, I think you're a reliable reporter. (laughs) This, this was eye roll city for me, Susan. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I I will agree with you more than than not. I certainly I, I feel the same way in, in that I and I don't really care for scenes where people are just, you know, smashing each other's heads and I don't really get enjoy that too much. The only I guess the only kind of uh thing you could get out of it for, for Theon is just the idea that he'd be able to to say, Well, you know, this thing that's been my shame and been uh, you know, such a horror for me that I'm gonna you know, that in it's something that helped me out here now so you know he can own that that's nice of you yeah i was just gonna that the those exact words that's nice of you (laughs) 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 i mean Uh, you you found it you found the one kernel because i was struggling (laughs) 
Yeah, oh, I'm totally man. down to let you have it, but that's nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess we'll see how this turns out in 2019. All right. Um, let's see here. All right, so now we are back at King's Landing, and the stupidest Lannister is making plans with some soldiers, <laughs> and... Cersei interrupts him to let him know that she lied to everyone, including him, and has no intention to help anyone fight the army of the dead. She thinks it's stupid to help the North either way. They are going to thin out their ranks and they're going to hit the North first. Why even get involved? Uh, She lets him know that she has help with Euron because he's getting the golden company and Jamie's more hurt I think that Cersei's making plans behind his back um so we have this little oh and then uh this is enough to send Jamie north on his own and this angers Cersei enough to threaten him with death but not angry enough to follow through with the kill and um so I guess they broke up, guys. And Jamie leaves King's Landing as the first snowfall is hitting. Man. What do you Yeah, this is big. What do you guys think? About damn time. <laughs> I'll say. I thought it was really fascinating that Cersei says nobody leaves me when like everybody has died and therefore <laughs> left her. <laughs> that was like a really fascinating bit of fake news or historical uh, re uh, what do you call that revisionism whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought history. that was like yeah. yeah, an amazing thing to come out of her face. I thought it was really fascinating. And otherwise, well, yeah, I'm, about damn time. Yeah. I mean, if you think about how Jamie even ended up where he is, right? It was to follow Cersei to King's Landing. I mean, this guy has been at her beck and call since forever. And I guess she thought that it would always be that way. And there was no line that she could cross that would split them apart. I mean, her marrying someone else, the king, for God's sakes wasn't enough like okay i'm gonna join the king's guard give up my you know right to land so i can just be near you and protect you and you know also still date you i'll say date um (laughs) a lot of dating going on right now yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so i mean this idea so susan earlier you were saying that you know she wasn't being you know she's not being ethical but she's being smart and i think right here is is this what you were talking about where she's like why would i get involved in this fight when those people are already dedicated their forces to fighting so let them go fight right like what's the point exactly i mean it's uh even though you can also say Jamie had a, a valid point with telling her, well, you know, if the dead win, they're going to come kill us all. And if they don't, then if these other people win and you betray them, they're going to come kill us all. Well, I think that, you know, then Cersei brought up the fact that 
that those uh, the the Targaryens and Starks and and everybody there uh, they were going to be against her anyway. So wouldn't they still come after her mm-hmm. after, at the end? So why not kind of take a chance and see if uh, through attrition here she could get rid of as many of her enemies as possible? Plus she knew the idea about the the Golden Company and um, and Euron uh, that Jamie didn't how that would factor in. So, yeah. She played everybody. And I'm sure there are blowbacks that we can't see and she can't see. But, I mean, you've got to respect it, right, Mike? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely. And it made a hell of a lot more sense than everything else she did in this episode. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to (laughs) work, but yeah, I definitely, definitely it's proper Cersei and it's really good Cersei too. Yeah. Um, so something about this snowfall. So I've been hearing a lot of people say, you know, like the whites are gathering and they're just standing around, but they're not doing anything and they're waiting for like the rest of the plot to work itself out. But I'm wondering if like the snow has reached the south and now they come, right? Like maybe they were waiting, like winter hadn't really come yet. And now ah. it's time. Because King's Landing is pretty far down. I mean, the only thing left is pretty Dorn, right? And like the old town area. So if they're just starting to move now and snow is in King's Landing, right? It Westeros should be in full winter by the time well we'll see how travel works in in the next season, but <laughs> right? I mean, it should fully be winter. So I'm I'm wondering if that's kind of their reasoning. I think it could definitely be a factor in it. I mean, I think you're doing a little bit of lifting, but it makes sense. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. Fine. I, I, I'm going to own that. I did some lifting. I'm always like accusing everybody sack. else. It's not a Mack truck, you know? Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who did I yell at? Not yell at. Oh, Matt. Matt was doing some heavy lifting with the yeah. uh, Aria plot line <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on Twitter. Uh, I was really right, impressed so- with, this, with the, the, the wide shot. Of King, and you know, I I feel mm. like that we got much more of a sense of the scope of of the scale of King's Landing in this one than we ever have before. With Tyrion saying there's a million people there, and then we see that nice, beautiful, I, you know, it just that was I thought that was particularly well done. So oh, cheers to that. Glad that rem- that reminded me um, too that this was something. Remember. We've been talking about since Bran had that vision of the dragon flying over King's Landing. Everybody's been wondering about when that would happen and what it's about. Well, it it could very well have been taken care of with the scene that happened with uh, Danny coming in and flying towards the dragon pit. So that could have been, oh. you know, where that shadow came from. And because it, it did appear that it was a, a sunny situation and so forth. So, you know, you could, we could cross that off the list of saying, yep. That's happened now. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about that vision. Yeah, that had me all tied up when, that, when we first saw it. 
Oh. Yeah, everybody's been so concentrated on the ash or snow, you know, King's room, right? Like everybody's, yeah. there's been so much focus on that, that, but I think that's, I think there's as much evidence as there can be for that. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometime in the future, obviously, with the with the battles and the whites and everything that are coming down next year, uh, you know, whether it's the Night King uh, on uh, Viserion or something that Daenerys does or somebody on one of the other two dragons later. I mean, I can imagine King's Landing getting decimated. But that particular shot that Bran saw in that vision of a dragon shadow flying over what looked like a sunny view of king's landing everybody's been trying to figure out what in what context was that and when would that be and it just um kind of connected that okay yeah it was sunny yeah Mm -hmm. okay so um we're leaving king's landing and we are back at winterfell Sam and the family arrive at Winterfell and he says he's there because he thinks that John is the one to help fight the dead and he wants to be with him. He meets with Bran and uh, Sam is absolutely adorable dealing with Bran's weirdness. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, and then Bran tells Sam about John's parentage. And I mean, I get for plot reasons why he had to tell him, but I mean, of all people to just come out with this it's just a little odd to me but he tells sam about um that the fact that john is was born to Rhaegar targaryen and lyanna and calls him a sand and then sam recalls the passage that we saw earlier where Rhaegar marries lyanna after having his marriage annulled which we get to see finally through bran's vision uh, Bran says that Robert's rebellion was built on a lie and that John's real name is Aegon. Okay. Um, this is overlaid with John going into Daenerys' room on the ship and them consummating their relationship. Um, so I have a lot, uh, but I'm just going to say this. And I've said this since season one, or I felt this way. I don't think I've ever said it. The sex on this show is terrible. It is not hot. (laughs) It is not sexy. It is not titillating. It is so bad. It's so Red Shoe Diaries, dude. It is so (laughs) bad. It is not hot. It is like... It's like not even Emmanuel. It's like... (laughs) No, it's... Oh, my God. I mean, and I guess on one hand, right, I don't want a show that's, like, trying to turn me on. Like, that, you know, but but at least show me passion, right? Like, it's clinical almost. I can't stand it. Um, (laughs) So uh, let me just get that out of the way. But definitely (laughs) my, my brain was buzzing with the whole Aegon thing. Susan, I'd love to hear what you have to say about the fact that they chose to say that his name is Aegon. Uh, like, how did you react to that? Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot that I do like about this particular montage, and, and, and I'd like to, you know, go into that, though I 
probably did it pretty well on the in the call-in show. But um, but as far as things that that I don't like, yeah, um, I I'm really hoping that that is not what George is going to go with because it for one thing, you know, with Rhaegar already having the first son be Aegon, and technically, I mean, when Ilya had the baby. Um, maybe those children had been killed, but if so, they'd just been killed. She probably wouldn't have heard of it by then. So, you know, there's that. And then in the book, there's this other Aegon. So it, it just doesn't make sense to me in terms of certainly the book situation. And personally, I've got a, a, um, a spot in my heart for the idea that, that it might be Aemon because there's a couple of times in the book where it, I feel like it's kind of foreshadowed that uh, things are said that uh, I probably don't want to take time to go into all the dialogue right now, but there, there's a couple of times that John says things that point to the fact that it could be Amon and then the, his relationship with them. I really think that that would be a really nice um, and satisfying way for it to be. But so, yeah, I didn't like the Aegon. Um, Mike, what about yeah. you? What did you think about this? I mean that was a well that was a well stated take on the Aegon situation. Um, I, you know this is all just expositional, and uh, I enjoyed the Bran and Sam scene. Um, you know I liked when he was like, "Did you see this in one of your visions?" And then Bran held up a raven, uh, a raven <laughs> scroll. That was great. You know I mean I like Sam. So, but this was just all exposition uh, and not really worth thinking as much about. As I did, because, you know, it's kind of dumb. But anyway, I, I just I don't know. You know, the thing with like the only sex that I've seen well portrayed in 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 movies is much more kind of, you know, like loving sexy sex is very rarely portrayed well. Right. Like you see awkward sex well done in in movies. You've seen like you know, the kind of monster's ball, like kind of animalistic, you know, um, you've seen that well done, but it is, I just, I don't know that anybody's really figured out. I think like some like French and Italian dudes in the sixties did it, but I can't remember their <laughs> oh names God. right now. You know, like it just, it's hard to do. And, and they, you know, I think you're, I think you're right. They, I just, I don't know that they do it well, but I don't know that you really can. You know, at least they don't have like Kenny G saxophone in it or something. <laughs> I'd like to clear one thing up about uh, the brand and um, Sam discussion. When Sam walked in and, and they were discussing that he was, you know, what he was as the three eyed raven. And he said that he could, you know, see things in the past and he could, uh, uh, see things that are going on in the world, all over the world. And the very next thing he says is, uh, you know, why are you here, Sam? And I've heard a lot of people <laughs> complain about that, but, but I have a good justification for that. Frankly. I mean, I think that yes, brand can see all over, but that doesn't mean that he knows somebody's in somebody's mind, what they're thinking and why they're, you know, their motivation for what they're doing. So he was asking Sam why, you know, why he'd come. And I think that, that, you know, he's not, um, this, you know, omniscient, um, 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 that's a word yeah. where, where he knows everything, he's able to see things. So I think that was a very valid question. 
Yeah, well, and, and right, because he is... didn't know Arya, right, when she was at the crossroads, yeah. right? I thought you were going to King's Landing. <laughs> she well, turned around. He can, he can it's, it, there's not an indication, correct me if I'm wrong, that they, that, that they can read minds. So unless somebody says something, he can't necessarily, right? I mean, that's part of it is, you know, and we see that when he like zooms in to hear the name, you know, right. we, we know that he can hear that he can know that because she said it, not because he can read her mind all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. So all right. Susan um, has Sam's back or Brand's yeah. back. <laughs> Um, but if you want me to explain what I really liked about the scene, you want me to tell you that now? Yeah. yeah. Give you my quick overview. Um, is that, yeah, it, it got, cause it got to me. I mean, this actually had me tearing up. Um, and I felt that it was a combination of everything. It was the music. It was, you know, Bran talking in this kind of otherworldly voice about, about, um, you know, Rhaegar and uh, Lyanna and the whole going to, you know, and, you know, she, he loved her and she loved him when they shot to, to John and Danny. I mean, I felt that. And, yeah, I mean, the sex wasn't hot. But when they when they uh, keyed in on their you know, when they panned into their faces on the bed at the same time that he was saying he's never been a bastard, he's the heir to the Iron Throne. You know, again, that really got me because I feel I, you know, it was making me think about the fact that here's this this guy who had all his life grown up thinking that, you know, he was, you know, wasn't entitled to anything. His father had uh, had an affair, and he was the result of, you know, something shameful. To that, that that this is his real reality, and so I was really struck with that, and I thought that at least the, the, in that at that point, the two of them looked at each other in a very, very loving way, um, their expressions. Uh, and again, I, I, this is something I already said. I feel like in, in the other, in the Colin show is that Danny had a very, um, passionate relationship with Drogo. She had a kind of a lustful relationship with Dario, but this seems like it's, you know, to me, what they're portraying looks like, like this is a deeper relationship. This is something that's going on because these people care about the individual that they've gotten to know and they admire because of what they've seen them stand for and what they do. I mean, sure, they're attractive to the fact that they're both attractive people, but it's more about the quality of the person. So for all those reasons, I was tearing up. Okay, and I'm going to give you all of that. But in my experience of watching this television show... At that moment, my wife says, dude, she's getting knocked up by her dead nephew. This show is so fucked up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so while all of the things you said, I think are totally legit, there's also that. And that totally undercut my experience of it in a way that I was really happy with. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I was glad that she reminded me of, of that kind of central, yeah. Let's not forget, you know. Right, right. And then I have heard people say that's why they they intercut it this way and why we got the reveal of John's name at this time is because they wanted to do it in a way that made the most maximum impact and the fact that, that they are, you know, that the incest situation is part of this. They're making people feel really weird about it. You've got mixed feelings about what's going on here. Absolutely. I mean... Do you think that 
John would, because Bran makes it clear, John must know this, right? He's not just sharing the information to share it, right? John has to know. Mm -hmm. So I guess the question becomes, you know, A, does, you know, what does it take for John to believe it? And then now what? Because, I, right. I mean, Donald's been saying, you know, who cares? What does it change? What, so you know this. Now what? Right? So this is going to happen. And this information is going to be passed on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could see John having a rough time. Like, I don't see him taking it in stride. Or at least not no. right away. No. And I, and I also think this is another thing that reflects back to his his speech in the earlier part of the show about uh, about honesty and telling the truth. I mean, he's he, I'm sure he'll understand that Ned did this to protect him, but he also never told him, you know, and he was old enough to have had a conversation with him at some point. Right. And this is why John's going to die. Because it will take care of Danny's issue and it makes the kid that she's knocked up with, like, fine, and all everything's in order, and Tyrion's questions are all answered, and everything is all good. All they got to do is kill John. So John's gonna die. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, this like on reflection on like really thinking about this scene. Like, what is this scene ultimately like? She's pregnant. And he's dead. Song of Ice and Fire. And like, does John want to rule the Seven Kingdoms? I no. don't think so. Right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he would be willing to risk it all so someone else could have it that he trusts and he thinks like, you know, is this all going to tie into Azora Ahai? Like, is he Nisa Nisa for someone? I don't know. Nisa Nisa? That's I mean, I'll... how the singers are going to tell it. Right. I mean, I always expected that that these two were going to get together, you know, from from reading the books, and that also that as George keeps talking about the bittersweet ending, that that's going to be part of it. It's not where I heard so many people talk about, oh, that'd be terrible for them to get together. It's too much of a happily ever after. Well, it's not going to be happily ever after, mm -mm. you know, one or both of them is going to die as a, a, before this is all over with. And I and I do think that John is very likely to die because when you bring somebody back from the dead in stories like this, they're there to fulfill a purpose. And yeah. when that purpose is over, you know, they're, they die. that's it. Right. Yeah. They die. <laughs> like forever or until you have to write another book. And I don't think he's going to set himself up like that. No. Oh, no. I can't handle that. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So, at least he uh, yeah. at least he got him some uh, some sweet, sweet loving before he went out yeah. the door. Yeah. <laughs> I and really now Danny hope. And has, uh, has a story to tell Miss Sunday when they get back. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've heard people say that they're going to build this up into a conflict between the two of them. And I, I mean, I can see, I don't think John's going to care at all about the Iron Throne. And maybe no. Danny is going to resent him I I to some degree or, or, you know, at least have really uh, conflicted feelings about this because of she feels entitled to this. But I really hope that they don't build this into some big issue between the two of them because I think that they would be 
just doing that to create conflict. And it doesn't seem like it would be in character because no. John doesn't want it. That That's like an oversimplification of everything that they've been going through. If anything, John just wants to be left the hell alone. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, okay. So uh, our final scene at Winterfell, Sansa and Arya, they, they are having a real conversation. Uh, they are saying nice things to each other. They're saying not so nice things to each other, just like sisters do. Um, and they end the conversation, uh, and they kind of talk about the decision to get rid of Littlefinger, and they end with the Ned quote about the lone wolf dying, but the pack surviving. And I mean, this was just like such a great ending to a really uneven kind of storyline, is how I saw it. Um, great shot of them from behind with the snow uh, on the the grounds, like it it was just gorgeous. How did you guys see this one? It was the high five over Kurt Russell's dead body at the end of Death Proof that I totally said wasn't going to happen. <laughs> this was as close as we're going to get, right, of, of that scene. Uh, and it was great. I was fine with it. And I think, I think you just said it exactly right. This was the end to this stupid saga that we needed. I loved it. I mean, this was the other incident that brought the tears to my eyes because of the quote, you know, the quote of, from, from Ned that it's from the books. It's partially done in the show about the, the, you know, the lone wolf in the pack. I mean, I've been waiting for that all season and, uh, and it, it just makes me really emotional when the, when the girls were talking about that. And it just makes me kind of sad that we didn't get more of that. Uh, from the two of them. We spent a decent amount of time at Winterfell and I'm feeling like a lot of it was for nothing. Yeah. Because we were being tricked. And it's just, I mean, look, I like movies with twists. I, I, I mean, I don't, I'm okay with a twist. It's not that. It just didn't feel authentic. Right. It's and, gotta be uh, earned. Yeah, and those are characters that we've known from episode one. Right. So it, it's a little it's like a cheat, you know, because we know who they are and we know how they sound. And when something doesn't feel right, we're just constantly watching the show with like a furrowed brow instead of enjoying right. it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the beauties to George's writing is is that his big twists are well earned that, you know, you can go back and see how much evidence has been planted all along that, you know, that you, you aren't going to see it the first time around. But when something happens, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, we should have known that. Okay. I mean, I should. Um, so Mike knows this. I have this thing that I've been working on called the case for eight, <laughs> meaning uh, eight episodes of this season. And a lot of the scenes that I think needed to be there, like three of them are just what we would have needed to to make this work out and make sense. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the fight over the masks in the bag, I mean, that makes sense. That's freaking weird. Like, mm -hmm. yes, I find that. And then you tell me you're a killer. Like, yeah, we're fighting. I'm arguing with you. Yes. Why? <laughs> why are you doing this? That's fine to have an argument, right? That makes sense. But they, like, framed it in this really weird way, and I don't know. Okay, that was last yep. episode. 
<sighs> I'll move on. It's all okay. Right. It's all right. <laughs> little, a quick little preview for the the Tracy Solo show, A Case for Eight. Yeah, I'm I'm excited <laughs> for this. I've been encouraging yeah. it. We're gonna make this happen. Sounds good. All right. So, final scene. Beric and Tormund are looking north beyond the wall, and they see the army of dead approach. They are among the first to learn that Viserion, who has now been named Dwight by the Joffrey of Podcasts, Dragon <laughs> White, Dwight, <laughs> Dwight has been brought back and is being ridden by the Night King. And we watched Dwight shoot blue flame or ice or lasers. I've heard lots of really interesting things uh, <laughs> at the wall and create a breach that is large enough for the army to walk through. And it seems the wall has fallen. This wow. was something, right? Like, wow. I mean, people have been predicting this, and I've certainly felt like, yeah, it's definitely Chekhov's wall in the book as well. And it had to fall, yeah, but seeing it is totally different. Mm-hmm. And having Tormund be, I mean, sure, Beric too, I mean, I know, but seeing Tormund be at risk again, right, was already, like, had me tied up in knots. And then, <sighs> okay, I'm I'm just rambling. Go ahead. Uh, Mike, what do you think about this scene? <laughs> well, okay, so I don't know if you've ever read the, the rabbit novels, John Updike's rabbit novels. There, there's four of them, and if you haven't read them, don't, because they're not nearly as good as people promise you they are but there's a character in these books named charlie stavros and from the first book charlie stavros's heart is a part like you know his heart could go at any minute right this fucking guy doesn't have a heart attack in all four books it bullshit like i was highly (laughs) upset right and i called charlie stavros's heart the chekhov's gun of the rabbit series because but it never goes off and it just it was one of the many things that I didn't like about those books. That's a completely different podcast. But I've wanted the wall to come down, but every time I want something like that that feels inevitable, I remember Charlie Stavros and his damn heart attack he never had. So I've been like <laughs> waiting for this moment to like let myself believe that the wall was going to fall, you know? And when they gave it to me, when Chekhov's wall finally went off, man, it was great. I really liked it. I, I just I thought it was completely badass. The way it was done, all of the like warming up that we've done to Tormund, who we already liked, you know, but he's just been like a fuzzy bear this whole season. You know what I mean? He uh, The only people he's killed are people we didn't like. I mean, just whatever. Tormund's been great. And so to experience that moment through him, all that stuff was awesome. And the flame, you know... Donald, who hasn't been on a lot of podcasts, but is a plague in our text message conversations about this shit, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, was talking about like what is the point of you know noticing the dragon formations in the blood and and you know pointing out the the blue color in her eyes and all that kind of stuff, and this is the point is that I don't think that it's just you know blue flame right like it's the kind of 
gas that they hooked the gas tank that they hooked up to him or something it is the magic it is the color of the magic it's the color that we've seen in the white walker's eyes it's the color that showed up in dwight's eyes when he opened them it's the color that we've seen you know in i would argue in danny's eye the when she first arrived at dragonstone in the beginning we've seen this color repeated it's the color that we see over the field of whites when the fir- when the dragon first shows up when all those guys are ranging above the wall like this is the color of the magic and i think the point now of all of that you know and maybe i'm lifting or maybe i'm doing heavy lifting for myself actually not for the showrunners <laughs> but i think you see that blue you see that color that magic increasingly throughout this season as a lead up to the flame that was going to come out of the dragon's face because nobody knew what it was going to look like. That was one of the big questions, right? And so if you believe that there is magic in the wall and not just ice, then it would require magic to take it down and not just fire, right? So it would make sense that whatever was coming out of this thing's mouth, that it was that a magic was a part of it. And I think that was seen with the color that you saw and with the way that, like... I did hear one person say something that I thought was really smart, which is that the the wall would be so cold that it's not like it's going to melt. It's just going to crack, right? When you hit it with that much heat, it's just going to crack and crumble apart. But if you believe there's magic in the wall, which I think both from the books and the show, there's every reason to believe it takes magic to bring it down. That's what I think was going on. So I doubt Donald has listened this far into the podcast, but if he has, that's why you take pictures of her eye and put it on Twitter and deal with ridicule all summer, Donald. That's why you do it. All right. That's enough of me on that. Wow. All right, Susan. Um, yeah. Can you cleanse our palate of this? Like, uh, <laughs> our background drama. <laughs> uh well, um, I, I mean, I, I think I think uh, Mike has a good point. I mean, in terms of, you know, because I believe that here where we talked before about the bond that the dragon and rider have in Sars the Targaryens, um, I think, you know, what's going on here instead is um, the same type of magic that the that the White Walkers used to to control the Whites, they're using, you know, he's using to control this white dragon. So it's, you know, a totally different thing. Um, and so I could uh, definitely agree that uh, that it's the, that magic, their type of magic is involved in um, in the fire as well. Makes sense to me. I'll buy it. Look yep. at that. And I and I just poo-pooed your blue theory. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I, I wish I could say you were the only one. I remember you all. <laughs> um, I think we got our first, well, in my opinion, the first weird CGI dragon moment. I thought that the Night King on Dwight was really weird. The way he was like bobbing up and down, it was so odd to me. So if you guys watch it again, just check that out. I thought it was bizarre. But all the other dragon stuff I thought was spot on. Well, let's talk about this for one second, because there was a lot of weird conversations about how the dragon seemed to like, you know, how how the dragon was lighter. Was it seemed to like it had less mass, kind of, you know, than than some of the other dragons, and people were debating that. And I also noticed that the dragon had like holes in its wings. Yeah. You know, the, 
these seem to be signs of decay, right? But does it like automatically decay when it gets reawakened as a dead thing? Because it didn't seem like it had a lot of time to bleed out, right? They pulled it out of the cold water pretty much immediately. You would think it would have been a little better preserved. I don't, you know, anyway, I don't know. This is an extremely esoteric version of this conversation about, you know, the physics of, of dragon decay. But it seemed to me like it was a little extra dead, a little deader than it needed to be. I think part of the reason they did that was because they wanted to make sure that we understood that, that this dragon was a white, you know, a dead, you know, just raised like the uh, all the other yeah. thralls. Uh, whereas, cause people were debating on, was this going to be an ice dragon? Was it going to be a white Walker dragon? I think that, you know, that answers that question. It's just, he, the Viserion is just like any of those people that they've raised from the dead in terms of you know, how it's being controlled and, um, and you know, it's state of mind. All right. Well, it was Sounds super badass, and the only way I can actually like think critically about it is if I'm not watching it, because when it's happening in front of my face, I'm just like, <gasps> so that's good TV, right? Yep, yep, yeah. I mean, all the dragon stuff, you know, all season long was all. I mean, that's that's one thing that that the the show runners do wonderful is this big spectacle stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, so that's the season. Um, <laughs> wow, wow, that was fast. Wow, my summer's over. I have to go back to work. Oh. <laughs> I've been dreading the end of the season because <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's coming. Okay. Um, so I know that we're going to have another deep dive, right? We're gonna kind of do. The season in review next week. Um, so, I mean, I guess just on this episode alone, does anybody have anything that we didn't talk about that they want to? Yes. Um, Tyrion's um, little lurking in the hallway on the boat. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, yeah. Susan for the win. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, um, so everybody's been saying, okay, what's that about? And I have three reasons <laughs> or, or three Ooh. explanations. So I, I mean, I believe that well, at least two of them, I think, are both part of it. And the third one is something to think about. Um, you know, I think that certainly Tyrion has, as uh, Daenerys's hand, has got to be concerned about the implications of of uh, John and Danny getting together because of how that's going to affect everything that she's going to be doing in terms of you know her strategy and and the war and where she's going to want to put you know time and effort and you know, whether John's going to have you know sway over uh, what she's going to decide to do versus Tyrion. So there's that, and that's a big thing. But I also do think that at the end of last season. When she made him her hand, that scene did very much give you the impression that that uh, Tyrion was having tender thoughts for Daenerys, and um, so and uh, and I think that that's so it's easy to say that you know there may be some some jealousy going on there, and like you all mentioned before, I mean this is a guy who 
is all about uh, about women and, and hasn't really been involved with anybody in the last couple of uh, seasons. So, you know, there's that component to him. But the other thing that I think, um, because this is a deep dive and, and book-related thing that we can, can bring up is, if you go back to George Martin's first initial, uh, that three-page letter uh, to the editor that he wrote back when he was starting the series that gave an overview of where he was going to go with I it. I love talking about the letter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he initially was going to have a love triangle between John, Tyrion, and Arya. And the really troubling thing is he called it a deadly rival between John and Tyrion. So that's the the those words there are the what gives me the biggest pause to how uh, this is going to impact the situation. Is there really going to be that much animosity that it could become a deadly rival? <gasps> wow. Oh. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. okay, so we have six episodes left, right, for them to <laughs> establish. <laughs> right. Right. And understand, like I said, I mean that that's just a that's just something to think about. The first two things I said I think are are, are would easy things for you to infer about this show, but you have no idea if they're gonna pull back from some of his initial ideas, but it's it's interesting. It is. Um, I mean, because the face that he was making, right, like that wasn't an accident. You know, like he was definitely troubled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not for the realm. No. <laughs> okay. It was what was going on behind that door. <laughs> yeah, I really, this this more than anything else to me just jumped out as like, I can't wait to read this shit because all of George's like fat nerd self-loathing is going to come out in these chapters. It's just going to be vicious because there's no way that Tyrion is going to come into this with a sense of... Um, optimism ownership expectation you know what i mean like he doesn't have that kind of confidence or or swagger personality to think that this is really gonna work right and i mean that actually to me gave a lot more resonance to to the the moment earlier in the season where she said he's too small for me well Uh. shit (laughs) i mean the only person there smaller than john is Right. So, I mean, so that like really gave a lot more resonance to that scene. Uh, And and it I'm just can't wait to see how this plays out in the books, regardless of like how it how the plot works. Just to read George's version of Tyrion's thoughts as he's having this fight with himself, because, you know, because he likes John. Yeah, yeah, he likes John. Mm-hmm. This is this is not someone that he, you know, can't stand anyway. You know, because right. when Tyrion wants to be nasty, he can really be awful. I mean, you know, didn't he have that singer, like, put into a bowl of brown or whatever? Like, mm. if you're in his way, he's going to get rid of you. Right. This is yep. going to be hard. This, this will be hard for him. So, wow. I kind of wow. hope you're right. I mean... It's not something I'm looking forward to in the sense that, you know, it's because it, it's unexpected and it doesn't quite make sense on the surface. Mm-hmm. 
but they might be able to make it work. I mean, this is another thing that we've talked about a few times here, you know, is that there's a handful of characters that really haven't had, you know, that really haven't offended our morality in a couple of seasons, you know, and Tyrion is one of those guys where he's been saying, you know, like, let's just put him in jail. Let's not necessarily cook him in their armor. Let's, you know what I mean? Where he has been trying, whether or not he's been successful at it, to kind of dial things down a little bit, you know? And so it would be interesting now to see, to have a reason to hate Tyrion. Can you imagine to be like, oh, dirty Tyrion, to like start seeing shades of Cersei? And can you imagine? I mean, that would be <laughs> wild, right? Like, or, you know, Jamie shows up and all of a sudden Jamie is the one who's like, hey, bro, you're kind of like yeah. getting a little creeper here, man. You know what I mean? Can you imagine like that shift in their relationship? I don't know. There just it seems to me like there's a lot of really fascinating places it could go, regardless of how it plays in plot. Well, uh, Jenna Lannister always said that Tyrion was more like Tywin than any of the other kids, the other two. So for him to be, you know, have a cutthroat side, can definitely see it, at least book Tyrion. And I mean, he was pretty awful through book five. Mm. I mean, he he dropped down on in terms of like characters I would like to hang out with. I'm like, <laughs> I don't <laughs> after dance, I was like, pass. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Man, what uh what a hell of a show. What a hell of a conversation. My God, this is a pod this is a, f- a forever podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a forever show. What are you gonna do, right? Like Yeah, it's a long one. We're mm-hmm. gonna cover it in fifteen minutes. Susan, I really appreciate you coming on and uh dropping all kinds of book stuff on us. As always, there's so much stuff like it's not like anybody can possibly keep it all in in one head, right? But I mean, also, you know, you're always bringing the interesting connections and all that good stuff. I think this was a success, right, Tracy? Like it's been good. You and I like, you know, just having our back and forth. It's been good this season. But I thought Susan was uh, I, I really enjoyed this. So thanks for coming on, Susan. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I enjoyed it very much. Awesome. Yeah. I I know that uh, Susan's the encyclopedia for sure. And she brought the heat because (laughs) she brought his dar Zalorak. All right. And she came out with his dar. And I'm like, the name was gone. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to be doing a wrap a season wrap up uh, next week. But then also, you know, we've got whatever. However, I'm going to be retired by the time this show is over. So um, however long it is between now and the next episode, I can't even think about it. We're going to be doing Susan was a part of the Grand Northern Conspiracy podcast. And, you know, we need to kind of do a a wrap up with everybody from that little series. Kelly and John stuff who all read the books, obviously, and, and have thought about it in lots of different ways. So we will definitely be hearing from Susan again. And, uh, you know, if there's anything that jumps to mind, you let me know because we can get on and do like a 10 minute, like this bug that got up Susan's pants. <laughs> like we can totally do that. The Winterfell okay. people would love it. Right. Absolutely. They would. <laughs> uh, can I share one last thing with you guys, um, that I think 
people might be interested in. And I found this YouTube video that someone did. Well, someone it's uh, called uh, the uh, channel's called Screen Crush. And there's a it's just under five minute video called Every Clue That John and Daenerys Are Destined to Be Together on Game of Thrones. And I was amazed. They went through and showed all the parallels between their uh, both of them through all of the seasons. And I, I really, it's staggering how many times that they have mirrored each other in things that were happening to them that I never, uh, you know, clued into. It's all there. So I'll send you guys that on Twitter. Oh, okay. Super I'll definitely cool. look at that. I'll look at that tonight. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Anything else from you, Tracy, or should I ramble us out? Ramble us out. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Podcast Winterfell. Uh, I'm going to let Axel tell you how to contact us. Thank you to our patrons. And thank you to all our new listeners and old listeners. Here's Axel to tell you how to tell us what you thought of this season because we're going to be doing a feedback wrap-up too. So submit your emails, uh, your tweets, and all that kind of stuff so we can hear how you felt. Thank you very much. Podcast Winterfell later. Thank you for listening to Podcast Winterfell. Podcast Winterfell is a part of the DVR Podcast Network. You can check us out at dvrpodcast.com. Become a patron. Go to Patreon slash DVR. Follow us on Twitter at Winterfell Pod. Follow us on Facebook at Podcast Winterfell. And follow the DVR Podcast Network at DVR Podcast.